0: This is the Life Church podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to LifeChurchNow.org. Listen, this is the first time I've ever actually done this, where I'm uh, doing a, a, a three-part sermon series on that's directed to men. I've never done this before. I've always been a little bit nervous about just you know not speaking to everybody, but I do I do believe that this will apply to women as well. But I feel it's important for us to, to speak to men. It's a call to us men to be all that God has called us to be, all right? And so I'll be speaking to, to the men this morning. There's a few reasons why I'm doing this. Um, one reason is that if, if, you don't, if you don't make it clear that you're talking to the man, he will naturally assume that you're talking to somebody else, right? You, you, like you're in church. And you hear pastor preaching, you're just someone and say, "Yeah, my wife needs this." That's 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 men, all right. So it's important that we that we make it clear that I am speaking to men. There's a, a soccer coach by the name of Anson Dorrance. He's the he's the head coach for the women's soccer team at the University of North Carolina. He's also been the the head coach for the men's soccer team there as well. In fact, he's one of the one of the winningest soccer coaches out there, and uh, and he has the distinction of actually winning championships for both men and women in the same season. And so this guy, you know, he's coached men, he's coached women, and so he has a lot of uh, a lot of insight in how you coach men and women. And there's an article that I read that that he talks about the differences between coaching men and women. He says, for example, during a a halftime speech, when you're talking to men, he says, you yell, you kick the trash can down the hallway, you know, you you get louder and louder, you yell. And he he discovered that as he yelled and did that, it motivated the men to try harder, to work harder, right? For women, he does something a little bit different. He... uh, he, he, you know, he would ask the men to take a knee in the, in, the, in the locker room. He'd ask the men to take a knee while he stood up and spoke to them. But for the women, they would stand and he would take the knee. And this is his, this is his insight. This is what he says. Um, he explains that women needed to feel trusted. The, the girls on his soccer team needed to feel trusted, but men needed to feel threatened. <laughs> the women needed to be encouraged but the men needed to be challenged. In the article, he goes on to say that, you know, he would have to call the guys out by name. Like he'd have to show them video evidence of what they're doing wrong so that they would finally believe that it was them that he was talking to, right? Because if he just said, if he just spoke in generalities, they would just assume it's somebody else. It's obviously not me. I'm doing my job. That's, that's how, he would, how they would think. He said women, on the other hand, and were just the opposite. If he if spoke in general terms, like if he said, you know, hey, you know, we're not doing well at, 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 at defense or something like that, a, the individual players would take it personally, like he's talking to me directly, whereas men, we tend to think that he's talking to somebody else, right? And so that's why in this series, um, if I don't say that I'm specifically talking to men, then the women in the room will assume that I'm talking to them personally, and the men in the room will agree that I'm talking to the women personally. So, men, I'm talking to you, okay? And this applies to all of us, but specifically, men, I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to you as men. Are we talking to men as men, not as boys. 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul talks about how there are men who talk and act like boys. I think in our culture, there are a lot of men who still act like boys, Boys who stay up late in the night playing video games while their wives go to bed at night alone. Boys are too busy with their hobbies, that they have no time for the widow down the street. Boys who work hard for their toys, but really don't have much, much purpose or passion in life. Boys who whine and complain about not having their needs met, not realizing that God has called each and every man here to give their lives away, to sacrifice their life for others. Boys who look at women as an object for their pleasure rather than, than women of God, women that God has created, daughters of God that we need to honor and respect. Boys who use, use social media to, to basically rant and rave, to, to make digs at other people that don't agree with them. Boys who be, have to be handled with care because of their fragile egos. There's a lot of boys with beards in our culture. So full disclosure, men, I will I will talk to you as men, not as boys. Another reason I want to speak to men is because I think there's a lot of confusion these days about masculinity. In fact, if you did a Google search and you just typed in the word masculinity, you will discover that there is a uh, an adjective that's almost... Um, probably the first hit, but maybe it's just a couple down. One of the, An adjective that always precedes the word masculine. Anybody want to venture off and guess what that adjective is? Toxic. toxic. It's interesting how we know that, right? So there's a lot being said in our culture today about toxic masculinity. Now, I won't argue the fact that there's a lot, that a lot of what you see out in our culture and a lot that gets paraded on TV, and a lot that you are, are witnessing on social media is toxic masculinity. But our what bothers me is the response to that. The response is that we need to do away with masculinity completely. That we need to neutralize everything. And I don't think really God wants that, and I don't think actually women, I, I'm, I'm not a woman, but I... I think that women don't really want that either. So what we really need is a biblical idea of manhood. What does that look like to be a man in today's world? A man of God. And so that's what we're going to talk about. To kind of help us with this, I'm going to start today by talking about Adam, the first, the first man. And in many ways, Adam is kind of a stereotype of men. We, we, um, we all... All men have somewhat taken our cues from Adam. So we're going to start talking about today. Next week and the week following, we're going to continue talking about this. We're going to talk about Joshua next week as the prototype. We're going to talk about Jesus the following week as the archetype. Um, But Adam, the first man in Scripture, is a stereotype of what a lot of us men, we struggle with. And so wanting to address that, I'm wanting us to, to engage in that, okay? In Genesis 3, it starts off with Satan you know the story of creation. It starts up with Satan, who kind of slithers in in the form of a serpent. And he begins to, to lie. To, he tempts Adam, Adam and Eve to do the one thing that God told them not to do. Remember, God said, look, you can eat of any tree. Any tree out there. You, can have, you have dominion over all of creation. There's just this one tree in the center of the garden you cannot eat of. Just this one. And yet the serpent slithers in there and tempts Adam and Eve to do exactly what God told them not to do. You read it in Genesis 3, 6. It says, When the woman saw the fruit, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now, there's a lot to be said there. This is not my sermon today, but there's a lot to be said there about how sin works and how temptation works. That it was good for, you know, it was good for food. It's pleasing to the eye, so physically it's... Sin is always that way. Sin is always physically attractive. Sin is always, you know, enlightening. We want more of it. And that's not what I'm talking about today, but that's a lot to be said there. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So when Eve takes a bite, presumably sin enters into the world, right? But there's a problem here because... we. In Romans 5, it tells us that sin entered the world through one man, Adam. And so if you read Romans 5, you're going to say, wait a minute, but didn't Eve take the first bite? Isn't Eve responsible? Isn't she the one who listened to the temptation of the serpent? And isn't she the one who actually responded? And she's the one who actually basically ushered sin into the world. But there's this interesting little phrase there in verse 6 of Genesis 3. It says, she also gave some... To her husband, who was with her. I don't know if you get the scene, what's going on right here. Satan, in the form of a serpent, speaks to Eve. He lies to Eve, he lies about God, and Adam is with her. Adam is present, while his wife is being lied to about God right there in his own presence. And what does he do? Nothing. He does nothing. Perhaps this, this is the first sin of man. The sin of passivity. It's kind of what I want to talk a little bit about today. The sin of passivity. We do nothing. Something needs to be done, and he does nothing. Something needs to be said, and he says nothing. And so, in Adam, the first man, we find this struggle that... I think it's common with all of us men, and that's passivity. Things are happening right in front of us, and we fail to speak, we fail to act, we, we, you know, we don't do anything. And so our challenge today is to rise up and do something. Do I need to be like Coach Anson Doran? Do I need to kick this plant down and say, rise up and do something? I, mean, I don't know. Rise up and do something. See, this sin in this story isn't what he did, it's what he did not do. It's not what's there, but it's what should have been there. And I think a lot of us in this room, that's the story. That's the story of our lives, the home that we grew up in. A father who, who didn't do what he should have done, who didn't say what he shouldn't have said. Maybe you were waiting for him to say to you, You're beautiful you're precious, you're God's daughter, you're worthy, I love you, I love you, I love you. Maybe that's what you're waiting, and he never said it. Or maybe you're waiting for your dad to say, hey, you're strong enough. You can accomplish, you're becoming a man of God. You, I'm proud of you, maybe that's what you're waiting and He never said it. So in part, in many ways, our story is marked by Adam's sin. I think part of the reason is that Adam didn't realize the serpent was that, you know, was that, you know, destructive. He didn't realize what a, that, that the serpent was such a threat. I mean, just think about this. You know, all of, the, all of the animal kingdom was tame in many ways. And maybe as the serpent is slithering in there, there's a lion sitting right next to Adam. I mean, the lion seems a lot more vicious and, and, and you know, could devour a person. Not a serpent. So maybe, maybe Adam looked at the serpent and didn't think that the serpent was a threat. He didn't realize that what was happening right in front of him was an act of war. Satan, through the serpent, was lying to his wife. I think a lot of us men, we fail to realize that there's a war happening right in front of us. We fail to realize that we, we have been called to fight a battle. The Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against spiritual forces out there. In John 10:10, 10, 10, it tells us that we have an enemy who is it's like a lion who's come to kill, steal, and destroy. Guys, we have been called to fight, to not sit passively by. And so when this act of war takes place right in front of Adam, he does nothing. There's this is a movie, one of my favorite movies, it's called The Patriot. How many of you have seen The Patriot before? Most guys, you know, we like this is a little side commentary, but some of our problems that we we love action. All of us love a good fight, but we like doing it from a, a movie theater seat. That's how we engage in the war. That's how we engage in a battle by sitting back and watching somebody else do it. So that has nothing to do with what I'm saying, but The Patriot. The Patriot is one of my favorite movies. Um, it, it stars Mel Gibson. If you remember, he's, he plays the character of Benjamin Martin. And when the war breaks out, Benjamin Martin refuses to go to war. He's had plenty of experience with war. He doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to keep, you know, he's seen more killing than he's ever wanted to see in his life. And so he refuses to go to war. This is a story of Benjamin Martin. So he stays home. And then the war, as the war war begins to progress and move along, and it gets closer and closer to home, and it begins to affect his own family, takes a toll on his own family, there's this moment in the movie where he's standing in his living room, and he's looking out the window, and the battle is actually taking place right in, in his front yard. He sees it happening, it's right there, it's in front of him, and in that moment, you could just tell this conviction just rises up inside of him like, I should be fighting, His uh, sister-in-law tries to encourage him and she says to him these words, you've done nothing for which you should be ashamed of. And I love his response. He says, I've done nothing and for that I am ashamed. Sin of passivity. There's a war taking place and it's taking place in our living rooms It's taking place on our dining at our dinner table, it's taking place in our bedrooms, and we're doing nothing. You see, the enemy knows that if the men of life church were to rise up and do something, the enemy knows that's world changing stuff. And so his strategy is basically to neutralize the man. If he can neutralize the man, he can neutralize the marriage. If he neutralizes the marriage, he can neutralize the family. If he neutralizes the family, he can neutralize the neighborhood. If he neutralizes the neighborhood, on and on and on, he can neutralize the world. And what does the enemy need from, on our, from us men to accomplish that mission? Nothing. Nothing. Just sit back and let it happen. Right? It takes courage to move from being a boy to a man. I read a, a Forbes article. Actually, I read this for my series. The last series we did, "Love Is Hard" series, but didn't use it. And interestingly, applies now. <clears throat> There's a, a Dr. Pierre Mornell. He's a psychiatrist in the Bay. Was a psychiatrist in the Bay Area. He's passed away. But um, this article that I was reading was discussing his book. I didn't read his book. I just read the article about the book. And um, he was uh, discussing this book, the, the book, the title of the, of the book that Dr. Pierre Morneau wrote was Passive Men and Wild Women. And he explains that many of his clients were high-powered executives that, that would cross the Golden Gate Bridge every day to basically put their mark on the world. I mean, there were people with lots of money, lots of influence, you know, high-powered jobs, and, and they were just making an impact on the world, companies that you would know the names of. He said, "But they would then travel back across the bridge, back home, and they were not making a mark at home at all. He said the husbands would get home and were often inattentive and, and disengaged. And this is what he says, quote: "The husband would communicate in a dozen different ways, "I'm tired. Just leave me alone." She makes requests. he ignores them. She gets louder. He retreats further. She adds more pressure he lapses into sullen silences. As her husband withdraws and becomes more passive, she becomes wild with frustration, bitterness, and anger, which only further fuels his passivity. The more he senses his inadequacy, the more aware he is of his own failures, the more likely it is that he will always feel like he is going to disappoint her, and the more instinctually he withdraws. I read that, and I thought, This is the commentary of our world. So ladies, can I speak to you for a second? This is dangerous to do this. I'd bow the knee like Anson. (laughs) Can I talk to you eye to eye? I know you mean well, and I know your intentions are right, I know that there's a man in your home that you really want him to rise up and be the man he needs to be. I get it. But you need to know that constant criticism, constant nagging, pointing out of his failures and all of that, that doesn't really help. It just makes him further retreat into the recliner and not get up and do anything. There's a scripture verse, Proverbs 21. This is why it's dangerous to talk to women only. Proverbs 21.9, it says, better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> Guys, you cannot amend that. You're not allowed to amend that. <clears throat> but I say this, that when he is sequestered down in the basement in front of his Xbox, that's, that's the corner of the roof. Basically, what I want to say to you ladies is don't underestimate the power of of your words, the power of your words to encourage and to speak life into your men. Don't underestimate that. With your words, you can speak life into a man. You can cause a man to do things he would have never even dreamed of doing by just encouraging him. Well, you can also use those same words to destroy. Us men, it's difficult for us to even ask. We we need this. We need this. And it's difficult for us to tell you that we need it, but we need it. Your encouragement, your affirmation. You can strengthen us. You can give us courage by just the right words. man. I need to be clear with you as well. It doesn't matter how much your wife is critical of you. Doesn't matter how much she says to you that you you don't do this, you don't, you're this, you're that, you're this. Doesn't matter how much, that's not an excuse for you not to get out of the lazy boy. It's not, right? You don't get to use her as an excuse to not be the man that God's called you to become. There's too many times I'm telling you. There's people sit in my office all the time, and we talk about marriage dynamics, and there's been way too many times the reason why a man has not stepped up is because his wife just harasses him and he just has given up. I mean, obviously it goes both ways, right? You see, Adam is held responsible in this story. In Genesis 3, 9, it says, the Lord, the Lord God called to Adam or called to the man and said, where are you? You see, he was in the basement playing Xbox or PlayStation or whatever, Or he's out with his buddies doing something else. Where are you? Where are you? See, God is looking for a man to stand up, to just to to step out. Maybe the call today really is just basically that we need to rise up and take responsibility. On my phone, I have the four, four, uh, we we have this thing called, uh, uh, I went blank, what's our uh, men's fraternity? Well, we call it 33. And I have the four, um, the, the, what's it called again? I'm just going blank. Where's Brian Mason? Somebody else. You know, I'm just going blank. But th- the four things are reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, invest in eternal. I use this, I have this as a constant reminder for myself. That God is calling us to take responsibility. Too often, men, we don't take responsibility, right? One day, man, God's going to hold you accountable. And he's not going to ask you what your golf handicap was. He's not going to quiz you about your sports trivia, what you know about sports. He's not going to care about what your portfolio looks like or what your resume looks like. He's not going to care about any of that stuff. He's only going to care about one thing, the spiritual condition of your heart and the spiritual formation of your family. And so I'm challenging you, I'm calling you to take up and stand up and take up, take responsibility We see this in Adam. When God calls to him and calls him to task, this is what he says in in verse 12. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. You see what's happening here? He's shifting responsibility. He's blaming her. You know, God, you gave her to me. She's the one who took the first bite, not me. But see, if you recall the story, it's happening right in front of him. I mean, Adam had the opportunity as a snake was slithering by to basically stomp on his head and put him out. But he didn't, he did nothing. And so, God's calling us to take responsibility. Adam blames and he shirks his responsibility. God calls us to take responsibility, to have courage and take responsibility, even when it's hard. Even when you've, you, midstream, you've, you've messed up, you've messed up, you've messed up, and now you, fail. you say, God, I got to do this right. And midstream, you start trying to do the right thing. You know, there's a lot that needs to be overcome when you do that. There's a lot of history that needs to be forgiven and dealt with and, you know, figured out. Even when it's hard, because that is really hard turning midstream. Even then, you and I are called to stand up and take responsibility and do it. In the story of Adam, after they had eaten the fruit, it says that Adam and Eve were hiding in the trees. I think that's the story, the commentary of a lot of men in in a lot of men's lives these days. We're hiding from God. We're hiding. God's calling us to a higher level of living. And I know, don't get, me, don't, don't get me wrong. Don't get confused with what I'm saying here. I'm not saying, oh, just go do more. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. That's, a very, that's the frustration that most men feel. Is like, Really? I've got to work even harder? I already worked so hard. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about prioritizing the right things. About putting God first. Your family second. And doing it, taking responsibility for those things. Sometimes it it might mean that you're going to have to readjust some work schedules. It might mean you have to choose a different career path. It might mean that you have to do something different. But you make that your first priority. You stand up and you take responsibility. Stop hiding from God. The challenge for us is to rise up with courage. Courage to humble ourselves and take responsibility. We also read in, uh, that after the sin happened, um, Romans 5 tells us that, that sin entered the world through one man. But I love the promise. He in this in this passage, uh, God speaks to Adam and Eve, and there's these re- relevant curses that happen, right? Um, Adam has to basically work hard the rest of his life because he's been, that's the curse that happens because of the of the sin. The woman is going to give birth, and it's going to be painful. But there's also a curse he pronounces on the serpent. He says to the serpent, one day, one day, the Son of Man is going to stomp on your head. And he's going to set us free from the power of this sin. Jesus is exactly that. Jesus put an end to the curse. You and I do not have to be bound by the curse of Adam. We don't have to be bound by the sin of passivity. You and I have the opportunity to stand up and do something. Take responsibility. Jesus has come to give us life and to set us free. Amen? Let's all stand, guys. It's time it's it's time to stop hiding. I don't know who I'm speaking to. I'm probably speaking to all of us actually. Honestly, I told my wife yesterday I so I don't know if I really want you to go to church tomorrow. I don't know if she's here. <laughs> she, she's if she's there, she's out listening to, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah Rich, you need to do what you're preaching." <laughs> uh-uh. guys, don't you want something different? Don't you want don't you want to, to live a life where you feel like you are doing exactly what God wants you to do? Where you're investing in your family exactly the way you, God wants you to be investing in your family? Where you are becoming the man that God wants you to become? Don't you want that? And if you want that, don't go back and sit on the recliner again. Figuratively, you, you, you can still sit in your Lazy Boy. That's not, not what I'm saying but don't be a lazy boy. Stand up. Take courage. Take responsibility. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. Father, first and foremost, I thank you for the men in this room, the fathers, the husbands, the sons, the grandfathers. God, I thank you for them. I thank you, God, that you have have called them, you have given them this unique call of being a father, a husband, a son. And God, we're just asking you that you would help us to rise up to that, Lord God, to not settle for what culture says is normal, to not settle into toxic masculinity, to not settle into passivity, God, but help us, Father, to become the men that you have called us to become. We depend on you, Lord. We bow to need to you, God, because you are our Lord, our Savior. You're the one that gives us the power and the ability to be the men that we need to be. Father, I pray for the, the ladies in this room, the wise, Father, who, who, Lord, want the best for the man in their lives. God, I just pray that you will just give them a gentle heart and a gentle spirit. God, that you will help them, Father, to, to speak life into their husbands, to speak encouragement into their husbands, to speak courage into their husbands, Lord God. Sometimes those conversations are difficult conversations, but God, but we, we just pray for them, Lord God, that you will en- enable them, that you will empower them, God, that you will anoint them with your spirit to speak the exact words that need to be spoken, words that bring life and courage. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name.